Greetings, friends, and welcome back, or welcome to the High Flyers Podcast. The show, the curious ones, the ones that want to learn to fly high from individuals creating value in a variety of industries and roles to learn about their sunrise, their magic moments, their hustle, and a load of golden nuggets and insight to help you be 1% better every day. And I'm your host, in this episode, we take flight with Corey Wastel. I've always been fascinated by Corey, whether it be his outlook on life, building a financial advisory firm, Verse, whilst also building a family, and continuing to learn and challenge himself. Hear about Corey's upbringing, being one of five boys, being the golden child and the role that played in his mindset and views, being inspired by sporting players and the pursuit of excellence, advice for aspiring business founders, and also his three tips on being financially healthy. Are you ready to fly high? Corey, great to have you on the show, my friend. We've got a great connect in Taps, who was on the show early on. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Vadit. I, uh, I appreciate it, and I, uh, I really enjoyed that first episode with uh, our good mate, Tapiwa. Great to hear. Well, let's get into it with a quick warm-up, um, just to help the listeners get a bit of an understanding about you. What was the most recent movie you watched? Uh, not sure a movie, but I recently watched The Morning Show, which is that new series with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reek Witherspoon um, and Steve Carell. I'm not sure whether you've seen it, but um, got me hooked for a couple of weeks, me and my wife. Interesting. I'll have to check it out. Is that on Netflix? It's on uh, Apple+. Plus. Uh, okay. Apple TV mm. Plus, so worth worth checking out. Definitely. Your favorite holiday destination? New York. Yep. It's very up, straight to the point. <laughs> straight <laughs> to the point. Well, yeah, um, I can't elaborate. My, um, my, my <laughs> partner, Christy, and I spent a magical 10, 11 days in New York, probably about six, seven years ago now, and we've been wanting to get back for quite a while, but um, having a couple of young boys, it's, it's not... Um, it's not the best destination for kids, so we're more doing the beach holidays at the moment, but um, hopefully not too far down the track. Um, in a post-COVID world, we're, we're back in the Big Apple. Mm. And how, how do you like to recharge? Um, I like to recharge. I like to watch a bit of sport um, and chill on the couch, but um, have always very much been uh, big on exercise and fitness, so getting to the gym is is my meditation and um, yeah, my way to my way to switch off. Love it. Sounds very similar to me. I think after a long day at work, gym's a great outlet. Absolutely. Awesome, mate. Well, let's get into your sunrise, those early years and your start. So what was the young Corey like growing up? The young Corey. Um, I grew up as one of five boys um, and it, it was a uh, it was a split family. So my parents separated when, when I was about five um, and the things that really kind of defined my my early years were um, I developed a sense of independence uh, really early. Um, you know, I look look back now, and you know, I was, I was walking myself to school, like three kilometres down main roads from about the age of six or seven. You know, ironing my own clothes in early primary school, making my own lunch. You know, I'm happy cleaning the toilets at about eight. Um, <laughs> You know, and getting myself to and from local sport, um, you know, any time of the day, 
any any season of the year. Um, even if it was forty degrees, it didn't matter. And and um, I think that taught me a lot of independence um, early, and I think it made me quite quite driven and, and developed a a really strong work ethic, which becomes some of the pillars for I guess my my early adulthood and how I've come to be uh, where I am. But um, you know, on the on the same token as well, um, you know, also with growth come to learn that some of those things are also in part a byproduct of growing up in, you know, a somewhat disconnected and neglectful family as well, where you kind of had to fight for yourself mm. um, and meet your own, meet your own needs. Uh, and, um, you know, cause no one else was, was really going to do it for you. Yeah. And, and were there any key influences in that period growing up that you think have played a role in where you are today? Um, I always I always looked externally um, to successful people and high achievers. So I've always I've always idolised um, great athletes and great sports people. So growing up in a family of five boys and both of my parents being elite sports people, um, you know I've always looked up to the football stars and the golf stars and the tennis stars of the world, and in a lot of ways wanted to wanted to emulate them in terms of just a level of success and I think in part a level of perceived perfection. It's probably been one of the narratives that has run through my life, probably subconsciously for a long period of time and increasingly consciously. Um, so, you know, people like you know, Nick Nick Revolt, I'm a big Saints fan. I love the AFL. I'm a Victorian. Um, you know, he was uh, certainly an idol of mine through my teenage years. Uh, Tom Brady, the, the former New England Patriots quarterback. Uh, Barack Obama got me into U.S. politics, but certainly someone I have always kind of looked up to. So there's, I mean, they're not the only figures, but um, I've always revered um, the people that are at the top of their game, typically leaders and people that have, have got the most out of themselves, but done it with, you know, humility um, and a gracefulness along the way. Mm, that's that's really interesting to hear you say that because I think when I reflect on that question, often it feels like you watch people like that on TV or you hear about them on the news, but then you sort of, once the game's over, you go back into your own life. Mm. Did you find that? And particularly in your early childhood, like you said, you came from a family that was maybe a bit different. And did those did your siblings play a role in that as well, do you think? Um, I think they did. I mean, we had some really interesting family dynamics um there was a really high level of internal competition within the family um and i you know i played what what you would probably label as a golden child role in in the family growing up so um i was probably in part resented by some of my siblings um and you know it was a role within our family dynamics that you know you don't realize that when you're growing up but really shapes your perception of your sense of self and your sense of self-worth um, and how you kind of view the world and you know, the reality that you form. Um, and, uh, you know, and within that, those family dynamics, other siblings play different roles within the family as well and their view of their self and um, their sense of the world was, was somewhat, somewhat different. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting because to me, you've always come across as someone who's very driven and motivated and someone who sort of had that self-belief. Again, looking back, mm. were there any sort of magic moments, so to speak, that formed that? Or were there any painful learnings that made you become this sort of person you are today? 
So I think it's really inspiring to have that sort of personality that really just reflects and, and sort of bounces off to other people. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I, you know, I was talking about playing that golden child role within, within the family. Um, I think that that certainly had uh, an influence on my level of self-confidence. So I've always... I always thought of myself as being someone that has a, a an unusually high level of self-confidence. And it's probably not until some very recent times that's actually been broken down a little bit and um, you know, some self-doubt has started to started to creep in for some some different reasons. But I think I was probably put on a pedestal internally within the family for a lot of my childhood. And I think that helps build some confidence as well. Um, and you know, I had this kind of perfectionistic type mentality where I would play a similar role in, you know, going back to say primary school, I think back now, I was a teacher's pet most of the time. And not necessarily because I was the very best student, but, you know, I had a way of, I guess, kind of influencing and working a room and, um, and uh, you know, and, and finding validation and admiration from, from people. And, and, uh, and I think that in part getting that constant, you know, um, affirmative kind of voices around you and being validated and being put up on some different pedestals in different areas of my life, that was just kind of like that would just kind of build self-confidence. Um, but, you know, there's um, some elements of that that as, you know, you can probably tell as I'm growing and learning as a human being and evolving and reflecting that, you um, you know, there's an element of a facade to that as well. Like the underpinnings aren't actually robust. Um, so I think that's in part where some of the confidence came from. Maybe some of that's innate as well. Um, I have always been really driven. I've had always had a really strong work ethic. And there's some of, I guess, some of the things I've always, I guess, prided myself on. Mm. Um, and and they're certainly some of the underpinnings that have helped me you know, get to the point I'm at now, um, which is nowhere near where I want to end up, but um, you know, it's certainly been, you know, been, been, as I said, some of those underpinnings that have helped me get to where I am. Yeah, really, really fascinating. And I think it would be interesting to go deeper into maybe a few of those magic moments in your life that looking back were, were, that have played a big role in, in, mm. in your life today. And that could be your career or it could be people you've met or experiences you've had. Um, and looking at your bio, it is quite diverse. You started in a job, so to speak, where you're working for someone else and now you're working for yourself. Um, I wonder if you could touch on a few of those magic moments that looking back, you think were great experiences or painful learnings or yep. just good to, good to go through. Sure. Um, there's a couple that come to mind. I mean, being a dad now, when you talk about magic moments, like the, the first thing that you think about mm. is the birth of your kids and just the, the joy and love that they bring into your life. Um, you know, it's, it's the most challenging thing to go through, but it's, it's the most rewarding and fulfilling as well. And, um, you know, for anyone that does have kids, you know, it's kind of, it's hard to, to find the words to kind of justify what, what having kids adds to your life. You know, I've got two boys now, Brady, who's three and, Charlie, who's 11 months today, um, you know, and um, they've just, for me, they've brought new perspective. They probably, um, they probably balanced me out and moderated me a little bit in terms of that, like, relentless work ethic and pursuit of achievement and significance. 
um, you start to value, I think, the smaller things, you know, a hug, a smile, you know, just you know, going for a walk with my three-year-old Brady and us getting, you know, the tram driver to ding his tram bell and us celebrating <laughs> on the street, you know, that was this morning, like all those little things, you know, they now yeah. become the joys and the things that I really value in life um, rather than, you know, trying to be the next Steve Jobs. And we've still got a business <laughs> and we're still doing great things and we're still headed in a great direction. But, you know, um, you know, they bring a sense of fulfillment and contentment to your life. And, you know, maybe, um, maybe the pursuit of achievement doesn't become as, as alluring. So that's, that's definitely, definitely one of the magic moments. Um, another one I, I think about, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd describe it as a defining moment rather than a, a, a magic moment was, um, you know, I assume we'll talk about our business versus the, the financial advice firm soon enough. Um, we, we started that business five and a half years ago now in early 2015 and I had a co-founder at the time and it didn't take too long before I started to question whether that partnership was going to be the right one for the business and for me personally long term and um, you know there was a I guess a gradual build-up or evolution over the first 24 months in the business where those feelings became you know stronger and stronger and and um, you know we were both heavily committed to the business both have great work ethics um, but you know there were um, some elements of our partnership and our relationship that that, that were increasingly not working in the way that we wanted them to and I think we were gradually move, trying to move in different directions and in in uh, and consequently try and take the business in different directions as well. And um, I made the call, uh, you know, about 24 months into the business or you know, two and a half years into the business that we needed to, to separate and, you know, and that my co-founder had to leave the business because um, I didn't want to leave the business. I was committed to it mm. and wanted to see it fulfill its potential and the vision that I had in mind. And I knew that without this separation, that was, that was, that was never going to happen. Um, and I didn't want to live with that kind of regret. Um, so it was a, it was an easy call to make, um, in that sense, but a hard one to communicate and work through because, you know, here's a guy who busted his gut for a couple of years in the business, made a lot of sacrifices, um, you know, emotionally, um, financially to, to get where we were. And here was his business partner saying, Hey, you look, you know, it doesn't matter what you say, you've, you've, you've got to leave and I'm going to work through the process to, to have you exit. Um, and, uh, you know, it took, took four to five months to work through, have him accept that and then work through the, the negotiation to, to, to buy him out. And it's not easy to buy a business partner out when you tell them they have mm. to leave and they don't want to leave. Um, and they think they've got equal right to be there as you. Um, you know, we, we both had our first, our first kids in, in the recent times in the lead up there. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, stress at home and not, not enough sleep and all those compounding factors. And, and that four, six months, four, five, six months was, it was a really trying time. It was probably the first really, really stressful period I've had in, in my life where I felt like I didn't have the sense of control over my own life. 
that I had become accustomed to. And, and would um, you say that was one of the painful learnings? It was de- there was definitely learnings that came out of it. It was definitely a it was definitely a tough experience, um, but it was a really worthwhile experience because on the other side of you know that I guess the, the the pain of that separation and working through that and the stress of that was a lot of freedom and liberation within the business where we really could grab it by the horns and take it really aggressively in the direction that we wanted to take it. And, you know, our sense of progress and speed and growth has gone up exponentially since that point in time. Um, and, um, you know, it's worth going through, going through that challenging period to, to come out, mm. to come out the other side. Yeah. And I'd love to, Corey, go back one step, if, if we can, just on that transition you made from working for someone else to working for yourself. Yeah. Um, I know that you worked at Combank for about four years, yep. I believe, and then you took the leap of faith and you founded the company, Verse. Um, what, what was that like and what were some of the motivations to, to take that leap of faith? Yeah, so I, I, I started, just to give a bit of context, I started investing when I was about 17. Yeah, so I was in year 11, I had a margin loan, which is a loan specifically to buy shares. Um, and I was always really intent on setting myself up financially as quickly as I could in my own life. And I guess the reason for that intrinsically was I just didn't want money to limit the quality of my life. And I didn't want money to be the cause of stresses in my life, which commonly happens for, for people. And, um, I didn't do finance at uni. I didn't plan to be a financial advisor. I actually did like marketing, PR, communications and, and, um, wanted to apply those in, in a sporting field. And um, as I was doing my university study, I was also doing a lot of private study around you know, investing and economics and, and, and finance and financial markets. And it was a real passion of mine. And I built over you know four or five years, I built up a lot of knowledge. And uh, I decided that I actually wanted to, wanted to get into financial advice. And when I got in there, which was at the Commonwealth Bank, um, Financial advice, it, it really just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And what I mean there was I thought financial advisors were sitting down with people and having like really great quality conversations about who are you, what do you value, what are you trying to achieve in your life with the help of your finances, what stresses are you trying to get rid of. And then then you're coaching people and guiding people and giving them strategies and, and giving them leadership and accountability so money can do what it needs to do for them in their life. That's what I thought financial advice was about. And then, as I said, when I got in there, perhaps naively, um, so much of it really was just about selling people financial products, moving mm-hmm. moving superannuation funds and selling people personal insurance, you know, life insurance, income protection, getting commissions. Um, and there was just this real opaqueness and... Um, it was really, it was really just sales masquerading as professional advice. Is probably the, the the easiest way to sum it up. And it inherently wasn't very valuable for people. It certainly was valuable for advisors, and um, I felt quite disconnected from it. And instinctively felt like, you know, I, I think I, I could love being an advisor, but not this kind of advisor. And I want to make sure that the impact I have on people is. You know, it's it's valuable, and for some people, it's transformative. And 
know, I, I didn't like the fact that financial advisors weren't trusted people within society. Oh, and didn't like the fact that, you know, you'd see headlines about financial advisors in the news and it was always scandal ridden and, you know, ended up with things like royal commissions and so on. And it was it was really that sense of what advice was meant to be or could be for people compared to what it was was the real motivator for me in, in starting verse. So my intent wasn't to be self-employed and have the freedom of a self-employed person, which is a bit of a facade, at least, at least mm. in the early years. Um, and, you know, and have a client base or get rich. It really was the fact that I wanted to change the narrative of financial advice and what it meant to get financial advice, what it meant to be a financial advisor and what it meant to engage with financial advice. And, you know, we, we set about, building an advice firm that you know made financial advice something that was really personal and outcome orientated and impactful and you know, and, and was what to do it without the the commissions and the kickbacks that have really impeded the, mm. the value of advice, at least in Australia and I know a lot of the world, um, for for a long period of time. So I have, I felt like I had this vision pulling me. Um, it really felt quite effortless. It didn't feel like it was this big leap of faith to leave an employed role and become self-employed, which I know a lot of people, you know, have some fear based around, um, you know, it, um, it just felt like the natural direction that, that I wanted to go and, and was inspired, you know, to head down that, head down that path. Yeah. And, and you mentioned there that those, those first few years probably were quite challenging, I'd, I'd imagine, and as, as it is in any business, would you have any advice for someone who might be looking to start their own business? It doesn't have to be financial advice, but maybe mm. they're looking to start their own venture because they've got a similar motivation. What were some of the learnings you've picked up that you could share with them? And also in reverse, was there anything when you first started you thought would happen now six years in that hasn't happened or maybe it's happened better than you expected? Mm. Uh, there's probably there's probably so many examples of that. Um, for starters, nothing turns out as planned. So if you're going to get into business, don't over plan. You know, don't spend 10,000 hours building this you know, business plan. Have some formation of where you're headed and what you're trying to do. But really, you know, the, the idealizing and the planning of what could be is going to be far different from what happens when you're actually you know, in the dirt, trying to get your first dollar in, trying to get your first client in, trying to hire your first person trying to turn a profit, trying to draw a wage for the first time. You know, these are these are real challenges and they all they almost always take longer, unless you're a unicorn business, they almost always take longer than you anticipate they're going to. Um, so if you are getting into business, I would say that you need to make sure that you have good expectations around how tough it's actually going to be. Disappointment is the result of poorly set expectations. Is something that we we say to clients a lot, um, and you know if you think business is going to be this kind of easy journey and things will unfold the way that you want and you'll hit all your goals in the first year and the second year, you know not to say that doesn't ever happen, but um, that, that that's unusual. So if you're out for a dog fight, be willing to work hard, focus on bringing dollars in the door rather than making your website look perfect, um, and go and go and find yourself. A mentor or me- or mentors, you know, because you're you're going to make mistakes, and your progress is going to be defined 
most likely far more by the things that you get wrong than the things that you get get right. So if you can find people that have walked a similar path in your industry or another industry or have achieved some of the things that you think you're trying to achieve or emulate, try and link yourself up with them. Try and have a coffee with them. Try and develop a mentor-mentee relationship where they, they are going to be able to see the things that you can't see, your blind spots and the mistakes that you're going to walk into that will mean things take five years longer than they could um, or cause you far more stress than they could or have you working longer hours than they could. Um, someone that's been there and done that and, and has worked through those mistakes, um, you know, they can help you short-circuit that process. Um, so that, mm. um, that's definitely one of the things I would, I would advocate and you know, along that kind of line, I had a really perhaps a magic moment um, about um, it was it was about eighteen months ago now. I'd I'd been trying to get in touch with a guy by the name of Joe Duran, who had built a financial advice and wealth management firm in the U.S. out of California called United Capital, and. In talking with some of the, you know, I guess some of the, um, the well-established people in advice in Australia, I'd heard m- many of them talking about this firm as perhaps being the best advice firm in the world. And, you know, I wanted to make this guy my mentor uh, and uh, consumed a lot of his content. And it took me, it took me about... I think about six to nine months to actually have a one-hour Zoom with him. He cancelled on me about six times. <laughs> and it, it turns out he was in the process of selling his business to Goldman Sachs, who most of us would be at least vaguely familiar with, at least the name. Um, and he sold it for uh, $850 million USD, so more than a billion dollars in Australian dollars. Um, so, you know, this guy's a legitimate entrepreneur. And... Uh, this one hour with him, I was, you know, I was so excited about it and felt like there was so much resonance between how he thought and how I thought. And, and uh, we jumped on there and literally for an hour, he just basically in, in a business sense, just kept punching me in the face. You know, like, you know, one of, his, one of the things he mentioned to me, which I probably won't forget was, I would never want to own your business. So I spoke about the kind of clients we were dealing with and how our pricing model worked and the kind of service we were delivering and so on. And he said, look, like you clearly, like you work hard, you've got a vision, um, you've got a lot of things going for you. But he said, I want you to know, and he literally kind of laughing in the kind of like the, the he's this overconfident, you know, you know, billionaire entrepreneur American, um, you know, larger than life type, type personality, laughing at me saying, I would never want to own your business. You will never scale that. Not in a million years will you ever scale your business. Um, and uh, the conversation, that one hour was the most valuable hour I've had in business. Um, mm. And it was because there were so many hard truths delivered in this one hour. It was completely unfiltered, unadulterated. Um, and, you know, all the people I've had in my life and in business and so on, almost everyone is, you know, like they, they kind of put you on that pedestal and say, you guys are doing these great things and so on. And, 
you know, what you're doing is fantastic and really kind of validating you and affirming you, which is kind of, it's good for the ego, but um, doesn't necessarily help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. And, um, you know, I've since formed more of a relationship with Joe. I went over to the US and spent some time with him in, in his office um, in, in Orange County and just those small chunks of time with him and just having someone that will tell you the hard truths, the things that you don't want to hear. But if you're willing to let your guard down and be vulnerable and not meet everything with this internal resistance and be willing to, to internalize it and reflect on it, um, even if it's contradictory to, to your own beliefs that you con- you're subconsciously wedded to, um, you know, the amount of growth that you can get from having, having a mentor like that um, is, is really exponential. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that, mate, and that definitely resonates with me. I think mentoring's been something that's played a big part in my life, and and I think for exactly the thing you said, where it's not often just that person giving you tips and tricks to improve your life, but sometimes questioning some of your thinking, um, and that's been a massive, massive part of my my journey, and definitely one of the reasons why I've started this podcast. So. Glad you mentioned that. Um, now for the bonus segment of this episode, which which I think is really interesting because you have had a diverse experience to date. What what is leadership to you? And and given you're leading a business now and accountable not just for business results but also people's careers, mm. how do you motivate people? And and what are some of the things you've done recently to get support your team when there might be moments where people are down, perhaps? Yeah, so in terms of what leadership is, um, I think leadership in essence is you know, getting the best out of people and a collective and being able to influence people to get a positive collective result. So, you know, it's, it's not about you know, putting yourself you know, on top or having people admiring you. It's about you know, giving people a sense of direction and a place in the team or a place in the world or a reason to be um, and you can't you can't motivate them um, I've definitely definitely learned that I think you can inspire people momentarily um, but if you want to lead a great team you've got to find motivated people and give them a source of inspiration um, you know, and then support them you know I, um, I really think that leadership is really about service you know, you, people don't work for the leader, the leader, a great leader works for the people. So you're there, mm. you're there to, to listen to them, you know, and find out how you can make their life easier. Um, find out how you can better support them. Find out what they're trying to achieve in their career and in their life and what needs they have that need to be met and how they can be happier at work. And if you lead with that sense of, service and you're always trying to find ways to make life better for the people that you're working for and working with um, I think you'll find that leading seems to you know uh, come quite easily in the sense that you've got people all rowing in the same direction you've got a cohesive team you've got a team that where trust flows in all directions, people have got each other's back. You don't have politics so much. Um, no, I certainly think they're, they're some of the hallmarks of, uh, of leadership. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's often said that a 
business success comes out of the people you have and you, and you touched on that. Were there anything you did early on in your journey starting Verse where you were able to get some of these motivated, ambitious people on board? Yeah, I think someone mentioned to me once, like you, you always want to be recruiting. So you always want to be meeting new people and bringing new people into your network and you're constantly evaluating people when you meet them. I certainly know I, I am in a business sense and going, is there a connection here? Is there value for, for you? Is there value for me? Are you potentially aligned with our culture at Verse or a potential role at Verse we might have now or have in the future? And it might be that you meet someone that maybe you recognize that there's a cultural fit in your business, but maybe then there's not a there's not a role fit at the moment, meaning you know, you're know you not at the stage of development where that person fits into the business or maybe there's not enough room or clients for that person to be there now, but you might think they might fit in a year or two or three. So you will maintain that relationship and you'll essentially kind of groom that relationship. Um, and when it comes to the time to hire someone, you're not necessarily just going out to seek and closing your eyes and hoping that someone out there in the universe is going to find this out and be the perfect candidate, you'd rather go to your own network or go to people that you know that you've built relationships with over an extended period of time. Then you've got this higher degree of confidence and conviction that it's a good fit for you, it's a good fit for them. Um, you know, and you might be able to short circuit um, some, of that, some of that process of finding, finding good people. Yeah, and now in today's world, we, we know that things are quite vulnerable and, and you touched earlier on financial health. Um, can you can you perhaps share with the listeners some suggestions or three suggestions, if I can ask, that people can apply to their lives to be, to I guess, improve their financial well-being? Yeah, I guess, you know, still being in the midst of, of COVID-19, at least in Victoria, that is, um, you know, people's finances and financial lives for a lot of people have never been more uncertain and more disrupted um, but I think the um, you know in terms of people looking after their financial well-being it's like anything it's it's the, the simple things done well consistently that really is where you should always start and what typically make the biggest difference so getting ahead financially if I could simplify into three things it would be safe invest and avoid mistakes so you're not going to get ahead if you spend everything you earn. So I recommend that if you want to save, you automate your cash flow. So some people might be familiar with that concept or a bucket system where money comes into one account and then you've got a certain amount of money going into a lifestyle account or a bills account or a travel account or a saving and investing for the future account. Um, and then your um, your expenses and your savings rate becomes predictable and you can start planning and making methodical progress and improve poor spending habits if they've held you back in the past. So that's number one. Investing, number two, and once you're saving, you've got to do something with it. If you're building wealth, deploying it to investing has always made the most amount of sense. There's all different types of investments you can make. But this is where point number three comes in, which is avoiding mistakes. So um, like I mentioned, I mentioned earlier, in business, your progress is as much defined by what you get wrong as by what you get right. It comes, It's the same when it comes to getting ahead financially and, and building wealth, um, avoiding investment mistakes um, or financial mistakes is really key. And being able to avoid mistakes is primarily a reflection of the amount of knowledge and education you have. 
So go out there and if you want to invest, educate yourself before you invest in anything. Or if you don't want to go through that process or your time is more valuable elsewhere, call in an expert, call in a financial advisor, um, someone who can, you know, give you the fundamentals but make sure that you avoid, you know, the mistakes and you get almost everything at least 80-90% right because nothing's perfect, um, you know, and on the back of saving, investing and avoiding mistakes, at the very least, you're going to make some decent progress. Yeah, and I think you've done through your social media channels a couple of videos where people can, I think, get a quick snippet on a different aspects of financial health. Is that correct? Yeah. I think a yeah, while back you used to do those Facebook videos where you were posting weekly. <laughs> well, I was posting weekly. The The funny part about that is that um, I actually recorded 100 videos in a week um, and then po- wow. posted them weekly. So I wanted to... I want to get more content out to people and, and more financial um, education out to people. And, you know, in between, you know, having a business and being busy and seeing clients and having kids and trying to keep fit, there wasn't much time to record a lot of videos. So I was doing like a video here and a video there and and uh, it was really inefficient. So I thought to myself, why don't I just, why don't I fly interstate for, for a week and literally just do nothing other than take a, a a camera you know a microphone and uh record 100 videos in a week and i just plucked a figure out of thin air and uh i thought i'm just gonna do it and i just bo- i booked the trip it was to sydney booked a hotel room and i recorded 103 videos between monday morning in hyde park and and uh and friday afternoon in the uh in the uber on the way to sydney airport and, uh, and and that 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 five days of work gave me a few years of content. Um, so how easy there's, there's, you you make it look make it sound very easy. I'm great. Just go out there and record, guys. Hundred videos. That that's it. Yeah. So um yeah, t- total total immersion. I think Tony Robbins would call it, which really helps you build momentum mm. if you if you're struggling to get started. Yeah, fantastic. I love your positive energy, mate. Um, now on to the final sprint and you mentioned earlier, like being fit and healthy. So I'm sure you can keep up. I, I, um, I hope so. Having said that <laughs> with COVID, my, my, my gym routine and not much sleep with, with our youngest, my, my gym routine is, um, uh, is that its weakest point in, in about 20 years, but, but that's okay. Let's, let's see how we go. Great. Let's, let's test this. Yep. Let's test it out yeah, and um, see how you keep up. It'll be good for me. <laughs> so these are just a bunch of rapid fire questions yep. again to, understand some of your habits and some of your inspirations. Um, is there one investment you made that you consider the best in your life? Uh, reading books. I, I Books are the greatest source of wisdom on planet Earth um, and they are where so much inspiration and growth and development and reflection and ideas uh, has come for me personally. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to the time where I can take a week off work and just, you know, get a little airbnb and just read books for a week um they're they're that valuable is there one book that you would gift to people i've gifted the book start with why by simon sinek about Mm -hmm. about 300 times so um that's and that that is on that is on leadership but it's also in part on um, having a sense of purpose and vision for what you're doing or what you're building and and letting that letting that drive you one thing you'd like to learn in the next six months? Uh, I'd like to learn how to juggle. My uh, my little man Brady um, has been asking me how to. Ha- he's been asking me to juggle for him the last couple of weeks, 
Oh, you mean literally juggle? L- literally juggle. And um, I, I, I want to teach him that with a sense of curiosity and determination, you can really do anything um, and nothing's really that hard. So um, I've decided I'm going to teach myself uh, how to juggle so he can he can see some real follow through. I think that's one of the better ones I've heard so far. That's that's I'm, I'm intrigued how you go with that. I'll let you know. <laughs> Is there one quote that inspires you? I used to, when, when I was younger, probably 17, 18, early 20s, I used to write on my hand going to the gym, no regrets. And this just sounds very simplistic, but for me it was a source of like not quitting on any rep, not quitting on any set, not quitting on any exercise. Um, But I also think that that's a mantra that you can live your life by where, you know, if there's things that you're fearful of or you've been avoiding or you really want to do because you think it would get the best of you, but you've got some personal hang-ups or anxieties um, about um, about taking that risk or putting yourself out there, leaning into challenges and leading into the things that you really want to do, even if they seem and feel scary, um, that is the best way to live. And if you live that way, you'll be able to live without regrets, or at least very few of them. And I guess regrets is... No, I don't want to take too many of them with me. One thing you do to optimize your health and performance at work? At work? Um, we've got some, we're fortunate enough in our co-working space to have some meditation rooms. So I do a little bit of transcendental meditation or TM as it's called. Some people listening might be familiar with it, um, which is you know, 20 minutes of meditation twice a day. I definitely don't do it twice a day and I don't do it every day either. Um, but um, when I do get up there, that 20 minutes has a real ROI for, for me personally um, and something I would recommend for everyone. Amazing. Corey, really enjoyed having you on the show, my friend. You've shared a lot of aspects of not just your life, but some of your inspirations. And I hope people listening can be inspired and, and hopefully apply some of those learnings in their lives. So good luck with what's ahead and talk soon. Thanks, Vadit. I, I really appreciate it. And um, thanks for having me on. Uh, the high flyers and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon there you have it Corey Russell I hope you took away some actionable insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your lives and be 1% better every day and I look forward to sharing the next episode with you next Tuesday stay tuned